and welcome to the 23 and We podcast. I am your host, Christian Shabu. Thank you so much for joining us for this first episode of 23 and We, which is a limited podcast series focused on the documentary series, The Last Dance. We're going to be recapping the first two episodes of the documentary, which really focuses on the foundations of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the entire Bulls team leading into that 97-98 epic season. Before we get into the episode today, I want to give a big shout out to the Dream Team, to Will, Lamar, and Drew. Those are some of my best friends for the last 30 years. Also want to give a huge shout out to Mike McGinley Music, who is providing the soundtrack for us leading in to this podcast episode and every episode. All right, y'all, let's go. All of you guys should know that like collectively, you three also might be the guys that I have recited the most movie lines with in my life. <laughs> Each one of you. <laughs> All right. Love it. Yeah, you know, Shibu, you said you literally said you said almost ten years. Like I've I have almost known you for ten years almost now. Like that, and that is just since I've been in New York. Like that is mind blowing to me because I'm like it's just a reminder of how long I've been in New York. And like, I've literally known you for many, many years now, like many years. Lamar, obviously you're in New York City right now. Uh, Will used to live in New York for a long, long time. Uh, and now is back up in Ithaca, New York, uh, where he went to college, but also has been raising his family there. Uh, and Drew is down in Charlotte, down in North Carolina. North Kagalaki, let's go. There we go. That's right. Basketball, oh, listen, North Carolina is basketball heaven. That's right. Like I, the, the whole college state, wide. like there's so many college colleges, wide. so many great players yes, from there. Sir. We got some good yeah. stories to share. Maybe we'll get to them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, welcome to 23 and We. I'm your host, Christian Shabu. And with me this week and will be with us for the next four weeks is our 23 and We dream team. Uh, going around the horn first to Will, who has been one of my best friends since third grade. So, Will, want to ask you, like, why'd you say yes to being a part of this series? And what was one of your earliest uh, MJ memories? The simple answer is because you asked me to. Uh, and so, you know, I do, I do a lot of things that, you know, friends want me to do. And so this is another one. Um, but I mean, you know, I think this one particularly is, you know, it, MJ was a special part of our, you know, childhood and friendship. And, you know, I think early on it was uh, trying to dunk from the free throw line, you know, on like an eight foot hoop that we had in my front driveway. You know, we put that, we put that hoop down low enough that we could try and, you know, get to it. And, uh, and I think that those were the things, you know, playing basketball with our tongues wagging out, like it, all of that stuff. That's, that was the, the first impressions that I had of MJ. And, you know, I, I think it was just more or less the way he permeated the, the culture of, you know, kids playing basketball. As far as dunking goes, you were actually dunking on the hoop. I often had to get assisted by the pole. Um, so that was <laughs> always a problem. Um, I want to go over to Drew. Drew, you and I have known each other since college uh, have always shared uh, a love for basketball. Uh, we'd love to know from you, why'd you say yes? But also, what are some of your earliest MJ memories? 
I think similar to Will, I'm really good at saying yes. I have an old habit of that, but saying yes to new connections and connections around topics I really care about, like basketball and the impact of the game beyond just the game itself, easy yes. So great to be here and meet you guys, um, because if you're brother Shabu, then your brother mine. And, you know, MJ memory, I was thinking about this. I'm going with the Be Like Mike Gatorade commercial. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. That's right. Like Mike. And and you sparked that, Will, right? Because I could say other ones, but you're right. Like, that was the thing, you know, be like Mike. And then, Lamar, what about for you? So, so you're a guy that grew up uh, in the Midwest, uh, grew up in a state that didn't have a basketball team, uh, obviously <laughs> dominated by football. Uh, but, yeah, what are some – you know, I got to throw the shots out there already. Um, <laughs> what uh, what are some of your earliest memories of MJ, and why'd you say yes to doing this? You're my bro, my broski. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, whenever I get a chance to get on and 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 holler about sports, I'm gonna do it. So that's one. Um, I was actually really thinking like I, Jordan was influential. I don't know how much I really connected to him when I was younger. Um, I think the thing that I will say is um, the thing that comes up about my youth and Michael Jordan was in 10th grade, I got my first pair of Jordans. Um, And I bought the Jordan, which ones were they? The Ferrari ones, the white with the red with like the triangles on the corners. Uh, I think they're the eights let me look i got it but i bought my first pair of like jordans uh in 10th grade at the mall before i was going on vacation to orlando to go to disney world with my family and like that's the thing that kind of rings on my mind is that like he had come out with 10 pairs of shoes prior i never bought a pair i finally bought this pair because they were on sale and then i had them for like 10 years after because i just never really wore them um but then what really rings to me is just like his staying power. Like it is ridiculous that people still wear his shoes and fanatically. Right. Right. It's wild for me. The thing that sticks out, like I have vivid memories, uh, particularly of the championship against the Suns, which came after the Olympics. So the Olympics happened in 92, they won in 93. And I can remember like for that entire year uh, during the summer and then like the, the following season, like, will a bunch of other other friends like we'd all hang out during the finals right and just be like three four five guys doing a sleepover watching these games and talking about talking about these games nonstop, right and maybe going outside and playing a little bit of ball and then coming back in but i mean that was sort of the inspiration for for getting this group of guys together you all are guys that represent uh the guys that i have talked the most with sports at different chapters of my life but also I just started imagining like, what would it be like to get those guys who have never met each other, uh, get them in the same room and like, what kind of conversations could we have now that we're in our, all in our late thirties, right? Cause we're all similar age, uh, but also grew up with Jordan, like through our middle school and high school years. And so, yeah, like thinking about like, what's the, what's the legacy, what's the impact uh, all these years later. And, and yeah, watching, watching this 10 part documentary series. And of course reliving that and getting some new insider info, but also thinking about from a big picture to your point, Lamar, like, the staying power of Jordan. What are some of those like bigger lessons from, from the bulls, from Jordan, from that era that like we can take with us around leadership, around 
you know, being, being a person, being a, like a leader, being a good man, all those sorts of things. So that's what we're going to be doing here over the next five episodes, you know, limited series podcast here. Uh, but I want to get in first to just talking about like first impressions after watching episode one and two, obviously these episodes are laying the foundation for the entire series. And then also episode two, getting a little bit more into uh, Scotty Pippen and that role. I uh, would love to go over to you first, Drew, like, what are your immediate reactions after seeing those two episodes? In reflecting on all this, like I revered Jordan. Cause I think to Lamar's point, I knew who he was. I wouldn't even say he was like my favorite basketball player. I just knew he was so dominant. So to be quite honest, like part of me watching this is to like understand that dominance. And the theme that really emerged for me in episode one slash two was, you know, I forgot that this is a guy that came from the country, you know, small town. And we see him today as this business mogul, right? Owner of my shout out, you know, Charlotte Hornets, and then behind the Jordan brand. And then of course, you know, six time champion hall of famer. But when you look back at his humble beginnings in Wilmington, you know, like he did not sound the same when he was doing those interviews from North Carolina that he does now, or as he does on the documentary. It was amazing just to see that growth of a, of a boy to a man. Yeah, those, those interviews freshman year at UNC, like he's just kind of bashful, also remembering that he's a 19-year-old kid, right? And so like, you know, that, I mean, it's interesting because like we think contextually now about like LeBron and like just how poised LeBron was at 19, right? And, and we remember that Jordan was a 19-year-old kid and didn't have that kind of poise. Uh, I'm wondering, Will, what about for you, like what were first impressions after you saw those episodes, saw the, the beginnings, the foundations uh, of The Last Dance and of Jordan? I knew and remembered a lot of the biography of Jordan, but I think the, the part that struck me was that, you know, I, I, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, like the grown up stuff, like I just wanted to watch a basketball player play basketball. And I think just, you know, obviously putting it in the context that I'm a grown adult who's gone through contract negotiations and a whole bunch of other stuff now like not to that degree but you know what I mean like you've done grown-up stuff now and so you sort of you have the context of you know what he might have been going through behind the scenes and that just never permeated like I didn't, I didn't see that and so I think the big part of it was just sort of you know adding that context to what the memories I had of him just playing basketball so I, it really was just the, all the behind the scenes stuff that I took, you know, much greater interest in, you know, that kind of layered on to the basketball stuff. Yo, this dude was, he was weird, dude. Like he, so I didn't even, I didn't even write this, but the, the, one of the first things that really stood out to me is that when he was like, basically the first game of the season, I walked into a hotel room and all my, all of my teammates were doing drugs and having sex. And I said, I can't go in there. I got to leave because this ain't, this ain't for me. And like, first of all, shout out to that because I don't know if I would have did that shit. First of all, <laughs> first and foremost, like I've been like, ah. um, uh, so there's that. But also like, I just noticed a lot of like really funny stuff. Like I, I feel like he only drove Corvettes. Uh, he, he like blew bubbles with his bubble gum, which I think is like, kind of like a childish trait. Um, he had a baby, like his putter was so tiny. Like, yeah. you're six, six, dude. You're, and you got a little, little baby putter. <laughs> like, you're so far bent over. Um, and I also think it was cool. It showed, not that I didn't expect this, but 
this is just a thought I had in general is that like when they showed him just kind of like cussing a lot. And I think that kind of reiterates like he kind of has a perception of being an asshole, but it also like the cussing that he did and when he did it in the doc last night kind of humanized him a little bit. It was like, oh, he's just like a regular dude. I think it was his dad or his brother, but they basically said how he was competing for his dad's attention. And I'll tell you what, being a dad and, and having two kids, I'm like, oh, man, that's real. Like, you don't have to have kids to know that's real. And I don't know what movie it is, but it's almost like that movie, that quote where it's like, if you can put your name on the enemy, it gives you something to strive towards. So he had like this insatiable hunger that like, I'm going to get it. And then, you know, you heard Roy Williams make that comment and like James Worthy right after like, he was the best player in, in two weeks. Like everyone knew. And you're thinking, so like two weeks, you know, we've been in coronavirus for longer than that. And like, just to think two weeks, everyone knows their place. And it's this youngster. His freshman year, right? Like he's the one that sinks that game winning shot, right? So he's getting that experience. And then in 84, when they go to the Olympics, like he's the best player on that team, right? So like before he even comes into the NBA, dude has been conditioned to like be the go-to guy, to have ice water in his veins. Like all of those, all of those things that you, you think about with the best players. And, and it's just fascinating. To that point though, Shabu, like why was he not the number one draft pick? Like, it's mind-blowing mind that all these people said he was the best player. Like, clearly. And he was the number three pick. Like, it is my, it's so interesting. They talked about that, which I thought was hugely interesting, right? And, like, a whole other draft talk. But they're like, Olajuwon went one. And Rod Thorne's like, look, if I had that pick, he'd go one, too. And it was this idea of, like, the big man had to win, right? And That's right. That Portland, is what it was. Portland had Drexler, right? Yeah. Which – if you look at today's NBA, you'd want a Drexler and a Jordan going wing and wing, right? right. But back then, it's like, why? Well, you know? then but you raise a great point. Like, somebody said that, too. They're like, oh, a big a, a guard can't carry a team, basically. I thought mm -hmm. there was a quote from somebody. Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, – was it, it wasn't Walton. It was one of the – it was one of the uh, – Mark Eaton. It was Mark, Mark Eaton, yeah. Yeah. Eaton. yeah. Mark Eaton wrote, or said that in one of his – post game or I don't remember which interview it was, but Mark Eaton said and, that yeah. guard can't carry the team. And still, and still, if they said he was the best player, he should have been drafted number one. Cause I, even to this day, like any, any best player is going to get the number one pick period. You know what I mean? Like it's so, it's so crazy. It gives us some insight into like where the league was at in those mid eighties, yep. right? Like still yeah. very much dominated mm -hmm. by big guys, right? Like even when you think about the Lakers, right. And you think about, magic and just like the the dominance and the stature he had on that team like that dude was a super big guard right like i mean he should have been playing forward right so the the idea the perception that a, a guard at six five could actually be a dominant player right there was just like mm -hmm. so much naysaying to that and we got to remember chicago wasn't chicago right <laughs> you know like back at draft day they said olajuwon was from the university of houston so he's in your backyard they draft right. him Right? right, Chicago isn't the city that we know of it today, and the city of champions, nearly. Right. Yeah, it was. It was pretty interesting to just see how quickly Jordan went in there and dominated that team. Right, like it. It was incredible. Within one season, he's he's got the rest of the team saying he's the best player, and then a couple seasons later, when Scottie Pippen comes to the team, right, and he's thinking he's gonna be like this hot shot 
coming on as as a rookie, right? The rest of the team's like, no, 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 Rook, like you you can't play that role, right? But just a few years ago, they were totally willing to let Jordan take that on because that team was just so bad. Well, it also though, I mean, the, those two, uh, Jordan was the type of guy that saw threats and saw the point, the person that he needed to take on to ascend to that role. So like, even if they did, even if they did let Scottie Pippen try to take the throne from Jordan, there was no way. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guy was so cutthroat, and he would go right at him. And he and he would even say in practice, "I didn't say anything." He's like, "I, I didn't say anything in practice. I would just go after whoever the best guy was, whoever the team leader was, whoever was most vocal. He was just going to go right after him, and he was going to." He was going to own him on the court and not say anything until he got to that place where he could say stuff, obviously. But, you know, even if they did, like, yeah, the, the rest of the team is supposed to put a rookie like Scottie Pippen in his place. But at the same time, like, I, I, w- I would love to have seen what would have happened if they actually just let him go. Because Jordan would have just ripped his throat out. Just been like, buddy. <laughs> like model, would have been a different relationship, style. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But, but honestly, Jordan would have cut him, not, cut him down so fast. Yeah, I think I think to that point too, and and as an extension of those first few years, I, I'm one of the things that stood out to me in the first couple of years is when he basically was like, "We are not going to have the attitude of losing," and he's basically saying like, "If you're putting me on minutes restrictions, if you're if you're saying like you're willing to lose this game to get a draft, like he's like that is a losing attitude always." He's like, I didn't come here to lose. And I just, I love when he was just saying, like, it just made so much sense. And it makes you really question, like, what are these organizations really about? Like, are they really about winning? Or is it about ego? Is it about, uh, you know, strategy? Like, whatever the thing is. But, like, I was really, they gave so much credit to Jay Krause, but they also hated him. Like, it was so interesting what that was. I think that it's incredible to, to the point y'all are making, like, just how, like, focused Jordan was at that age like as far as it as it relates to like not wanting to lose like I can certainly say like at 20 21 22 even at 37 like I don't want to lose right like <laughs> I hate that feeling but like the flip side of that of putting in the actual work and focus and attention to detail that somebody does at that age like it's just incredible right and and yeah. that foundation that that he built for himself dating back to you know when he was a kid right in in high school is just incredible I just wonder, like, would I have ever been able to have, like, even a fraction of that kind of focus and attention as, as a 20-year-old? I, I know what I would answer. The answer is no. Like, no. It, it, it it's too much. Yeah, it's too much. There's, there's so much distraction out there that it's it's really easy to, you know, get yourself, even when you're at the top of your game, like, it's easy for you to get distracted by what life throws at you when you're making tons of money, got tons of opportunity. But again, that dude, he was so singularly focused on being the best and the greatest. I, I think it was Lamar that mentioned it earlier. Like he walked into a room and said, this ain't for me. Like I'm out of here. I'm, yeah. That's uh, clearly his priorities are in the right spot. Like yeah. he got that singular focus that he could just, just put it all to the side and say like, I just want to, I want to ball and be the best. And you know what's interesting about that, Will, too, in, in terms of singular focus? 
he was single. I don't mean like relationship status, but like this is the 80s. You know, he didn't have the mentors, at least that we know of, you know, that this generation of players are leaning on, right? They didn't have social media. They weren't, sure. they didn't have cell phones. So like, how are you going to lean on someone? His team sucked, right? So yeah. like he singularly yeah, had to too. lock it in and just say, look, to your point, Lamar, we're going to win. We're going to have that attitude and I'm just going to do me. Right. And you all are going to be okay with that. And I'm going to show you what a good product is. But like, man, can you imagine coming in and not having like a archetype to live up to? So it's incredible. I mean, I, I think the other, I mean, so obviously the other sort of big theme or focus of these first two episodes uh, is paying a lot of attention to Scotty Pippen, the foundations of Scotty Pippen and like in his early years and like what that translated to for his playing career is there as well. Right. Like it was so interesting to me to note that like, how much adversity that guy had to go through at a young age, right? With having two people very close in his family being paralyzed, like from really tragic uh, circumstances, right? And being able to endure those kind of situations, also endure being from just a really poor area in Arkansas, coming up through, you know, the junior college and then like being in a very unknown college to come to the Bulls, right? And be totally willing, at least for a long period of time, to take on that backseat to Jordan and to endure just like, just the really harsh nature that Jordan could exist with. I mean, so much of it was a result of, of his foundation. And, and I just wonder like, what sticks out to you guys that maybe you didn't know about Scottie Pippen before seeing the first two episodes? Well, first, let me say that he played NAIA. You could have played NAIA. <laughs> <laughs> first, first and foremost. <laughs> That's the nicest thing somebody's ever said to me. <laughs> Uh, I, you know what, I, I just got to say it. And I, the coolest thing about anything Scottie Pippen said is that he got, he got that crappy deal. Right. But and it, it, the money wise, who knows what the money was back then? I think the money probably sounded right. The years weren't right, but he said he took the deal because he needed the guarantee that he could take care of his family. And yeah. I, to me, that is just like, just rings in my head over and I'm just like, that is so dope. Even though it was a raw deal, like it's so cool that he said, I have to be able to provide, I have to get this money. Cause even then like $18 million is a lot of money, like period. And I think it got lost, people missed it. Cause everyone was talking about it on Facebook today, but nobody said why he took the deal. He took it because in case he got hurt, he didn't want to have nothing. Right, like the conversation should be much less about he took a deal and he shouldn't have taken that deal, whatever the case may be yeah. and much more about that. That deal should have definitely been renegotiated at some point. Definitely. But, but why, but why he took it is like, just dope to me. A lot of it is in the way that he played the game because he was, you know, distributing the ball, he was playing all that. So he could defer real simple to Jordan, you know, and all that kind of stuff from the scoring perspective, but in his own right. Yeah. He was, you know, at some point the second best player in the NBA probably. And a lot of it came just from the, the way that he developed as a player, you know, in that time. But those are the things that I didn't, I didn't even know. Like, I had no idea that he, you know, I, I knew that he was from a small, you know, uh, Central Arkansas or whatever. And, you know, and, and that he had this sort of like meteoric rise, but like definitely did not know a lot of those details as to what led to that rise. Like, I didn't, I didn't have this. I didn't read the biographies of Scottie Pippen as often as I did to Jordan. Which is interesting, right? Because Jordan was certainly during that time the best player in the league, right? And it can definitely be argued that Pippen was either the second best or like within the top five like players in Easy. the league. 
right? And so, but yeah, I mean, we didn't read Scottie Pippen biographies. Drew, I want to go over to you. Like, in your opinion, Scottie Pippen, best number two ever? I mean, we, we're going to have the conversation about is Jordan the best player ever, but like the best number two, the sidekick, right? Is he the best number two ever? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, his record six and zero, oh, and I think Jordan signs it off. He said, "I didn't win any championship without Scottie Pippen." When uh, when you were asking that, I was trying to rattle off, thinking about a couple of uh, other number twos. You know, the only the only ones I can think of, like the arguments, might be whoever was number two in the Shaq Kobe world. Whoever's, but I mean, both both of those were alphas at some point. So like, you can't really put either of them in a number two. Uh, the only other one that I could think of was like, I guess David Robinson's and Tim Duncan, right? Like those two did a thing for a little while and they won a bunch of championships, but again, it, they both each had their own thing. So, I mean, there's nobody really that like stood out as that was their role and they, and, and then he just dominated so, so well at that. Like it was just, it was just the perfect pairing and he was the perfect you know, back up to that, you know, I didn't like that. Did, did one of them? No, the, 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 I thought, I thought somebody made a comparison to like Batman and Robin type deal. And I was just like, I don't even think it's that because it's like, it's even, it's better. It's like a, it, they're like sidekicks that are, it's like almost like an old detective role where it's like, one is a really good detective. And this other guy is also like just really good, but they just have different personalities. I, I don't know if it was during the thing, but um, I, I sort of wrote down like, what are the other great duos in the world? And I didn't have a lot to, to work off of. So Pippen gets it, man. Yeah, because part of it's the longevity, right? I mean, to your point about Shaq and Kobe, right? Like that only lasted mm -hmm. really for like three really productive seasons, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about almost a decade with Jordan mm -hmm. and Pippen and, and Pippen being willing to take that second, that second guy on the totem pole position. You know, a lot of people are talking today, like, you know, recency bias, and I do have recency bias. Um, like, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about like what happened in the NBA before 1984. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was born, I was born in 1983, so the only thing I can really think of is, is probably like Showtime Lakers, and I'm thinking, you know, Kareem and Magic. Uh, Probably, and I don't know who you would have called number two at that point, but I would say maybe the most equivalent. But again, they, they were both alphas and won championships without each other. Um, so it's again, it's hard to say because they didn't win everything together. So Jordan Pippen won everything together. Um, so yeah, I would say they he he would be, and I think it's also cool that they were also both from the South, both uh, you know. They grew up similar, and so I think they were. It almost was like destiny that they were gonna show up and be on the same team and and do what they did. Like one thing to your longevity point, Shabu. Like what we're not talking about is it's not just the six years that that represents the three, you know, three and three championships. They were teammates longer than that. And to your point, Will, like it was always you're one and I'm two. It wasn't one A, one B. And the thing we're also not talking about is between '94 and '95 when Jordan was out. Right, Pippen became the man, and then when Jordan came back, yep. Pippen's like, "You got it, dude. I'm going back to number two. Yep. Right, like that's crazy. You know, dude comes back from baseball and not looking right. You know, Pippen could have just kept going. 
and then he clicks in and Pippen's like, I got my role. I know, I know who I am. It's like yeah. knowing the role on your team. You, you gotta, you gotta go through it in order to understand it though. Yes. Right. And I don't know. They said he wanted to be the man, but like you, the, the problem was that like, you could, like you said earlier, like you could never be the man here. Cause like, he's just too good. So it just, it didn't matter. And I think it, it is dope that he had the experience to be like, you know what? Like, I don't need to be this to be great. And, and that's one thing I tell people all the time. It's like, no matter what you do, you don't need to be Michael Jordan to be great at what you do. You don't got to be Beyonce to be great at what you do. You can live a happy life and be great and make money and do all the things, be a number two, three, four, five, six. So, yeah, it's just a realization of, of living it and then be like, oh, okay, I'm cool with that. And the, the responsibility that comes along with it. And he actually yeah, had the skill set, right, to fill in those gaps where Jordan – might not have that. I mean, Jordan had all of the skill sets, right? But like the, the but the skills that he would actually flex, right? Like the fact that Pippen was so willing to be like the defensive stopper, right. to be a rebounder, right? To right. to be the leader and assists on that team, um, yeah. which got me thinking, right? Like, so if you're gonna think about your number two, really has to have those complementary skills. Imagine if you're the number one on your team, because I know that each one of us uh, played basketball. Uh, we maybe don't play as much now because we're in our late 30s and that's when it really starts to hurt after you play a game of ball. Uh, but I'm wondering, what would you need if you're the number one person on your team? You're the go-to, you're the, you're the MJ. What's the skill set you need to complement your skills or lack thereof? We're talking playing basketball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, we can talk about relationships if you want, but, but I, I was just that, would get us, I, that would fear like that would get us in some trouble. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's true. I, I, I mean, I guess I'll go first. I, you know, I think when, when I was always playing, I, I think my whole thing was I, I did not, I was, I was too selfish to understand what I needed. Like, I just wanted the ball in my hands all the time. And so I think to a certain extent, you know, what I probably needed was I needed to be the number two. <laughs> so I needed somebody on the team who was way, who was just so much better than me that I, you know, and so I probably did. And I just didn't recognize it, but you know, you like, uh, I, we, you and I should have played too much together for me to really talk too much about, you know, how much all the other interchangeable parts, you know, matter. But I mean, I always tried to be a wing. I always tried to be a shooter uh, and sometimes run the point, but it's like, I really did need a floor general probably more than anything else so that they just sort of put me in the spot that, you know, I need, I could get a shot off or whatever it was. So that when I was playing basketball, it was just somebody probably to take a little bit more charge of that role. And then, and then I could just kind of be free to be me. Man. I, I don't know if I ever would have been a number one. Um, and I say that because like my competitive spirit isn't high. Um, and that's, it's, it's like that to this day. I'm more of like, uh, a, a kumbaya team guy, like whatever needs to get done, I'll do it. And, um, that kind of person. So I probably would have needed somebody to like pull the greatness out of me because I was kind of like subdued, just kind of like. Yeah, I'll go with the flow, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, somebody to like really get on me and push me to be like better than I was. Cause I could have been, I think I really could have been good. I didn't care. I didn't care enough. 
Man, if, if we're taking, like, Lamar's angle, like, I wasn't even number two. I wasn't even on the starting five. I mean, so I needed someone to elevate my game to elevate the team. But if uh, if you're giving me Jordan skills, I would say the intangible I want, I want someone that is as competitive as me and as is as resilient as me, right? Like, if we're down by – I think he even said in the documentary, they're down by nine, right? He's like, the game's not over. What are you doing, guys? Right. Like to me, it's like it ain't over till it ain't over and we have a shot. Right. And even if you're just getting your butt kicked, like we're still going to go out and compete. So I want more of those intangibles. And then the skills can take care of themselves. Yeah. I definitely would have needed somebody that could shoot from the outside because I was not a good shooter back in high school. I think I've gotten a little bit better since then as an adult. I would have needed somebody that could calm me down because I would get way too competitive uh, as, as you all could attest to because you've seen that. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what I would need. But one of the things I wanted to do uh, during, our, during our episodes here is do a quote of the night, right? Think of it as like a yearbook quote. Like what's the quote that sort of sticks beyond seeing the episode today? And so the one for me uh, came from, Larry Jordan came from Jordan's older brother. And he said, uh, when you come to blows with someone you love, that ignites every fire within you. And I heard that. And Will, I got to tell you, like, I was, I was, I was just warped back to like the mid 90s when you and I just like constantly competed with each other. And to be clear, like you won almost every single time at, at everything. Right. But, but I remember part of what would get me so fired up was just like, I mean, really, it was like, you were, you were my brother, right? Like you were, yeah. you were one of my best friends and brothers. And like, that's, that's the thing that would get under my skin was the fact that you were my brother and still just like beating me every time. And it sharpened me, right? Like I got, I got much better as a player. Like I probably wouldn't have yeah. uh, been able to play varsity ball at all if it wasn't for years of getting my butt whooped by you in games of 21 all the time. Um, Let's yeah, go just, 21, baby. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, that just brought me back to that. And I was like, it actually allowed me to discover something like, oh yeah, like that's, that's why that was so annoying. And it was because, yeah, I, that was my brother. And so I wanted to, I don't think I've ever thanked you for that, but thanks, man. I really appreciated that. You got it, man. You got it. Um, no, it, I mean, I, I'll, just to piggyback off that, I mean, I think it goes both ways, man. I think that when, you know, you're a little bit, you're like a couple months older than I am or whatever, but like, you, you look at it in such a way that uh, uh, you had somebody chasing you all the time. So if you slept, and if I slept in my skills or whatever, and you started beating me and we swung the other way, yeah, it, it, it lit the fire under me as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, mutual respect for that um, history there. I think that the quote for me that I had was uh, came from uh, Roy, uh, Roy Williams when he said, and Michael Jordan was the only player who could turn the switch on and off and he never turned it off. And I thought that that was perfect. Cause it's like, I think in all of it, you kind of want that ability to just like turn it on when you need to, and then turn it off when you don't and just sort of conserve and conserve. I think a lot of that talk right now in the, today's game speaks vol- like that's a, what a, a lot of guys talk about. They talk about load management and they talk about all this stuff where you're turning it on and off. And it was like, you know, that's just a classic line in, in the whole, in the whole two, in both episodes that I thought, you know, it's resonated with me for sure. Can I add to that? Just 
I think to your point about like the load management and um, some of this other stuff, I was watching uh, LeBron show the shop last like two weeks ago and they were talking about like just I think they called it like chosen one syndrome or something like that like where like look Michael Jordan was just meant to be Michael Jordan and nobody else could do it like he could do it even if they wanted to like he was just meant to be that great he was chosen he was the one he was going to do that because I think about what it means in my life to like turn it on and off and to me I think about like self-care I think about uh, relaxation. I think about uh, pr productivity and do I have to be doing something all the time? And like guys now are kind of subscribing to that. And the fact that he just did it, but he did, but he didn't, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's, it shows you that he was just meant to be who he was. Mine was from the dad, it was James Jordan Sr. And he said, if you ever wanted Michael to improve at something, tell him he couldn't do it. And I think it, it dovetails nicely from what Lamar's saying, right? Like, you know, and to your point, Will, like, here's the thing. Like, regardless of load management, I knew every time I turned on the playoffs, like, Jordan was going to bring in every game. Like, it just – it was nonstop. And I have yet to see that from any other player ever. You know, and the funny thing, what you were saying, Lamar, too, of, like, you know, self-care and all, we saw clips of him always playing golf with his little putter. Right. And, you know – He's uh, it's written about like he's a big card player, right? He played with Oakley all the time, and like so, like that's kind of self care. You know, we saw him take care of himself in his little uh, townhome, and like his version of self care is I'm still going to compete against. Him. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to do a lower version of competing. Yeah. Well, uh, before we wrap up tonight's episode, uh, I want to have a segment here called the post-game shout-outs, which is there were really cool things that happened throughout the first two episodes that we probably can't spend a lot of time on, but it's worth just giving a shout-out. Uh, so the first one, and then open it up to y'all. Uh, the first one is shout-out to having two presidents in your documentary in the first two episodes. You somehow find a way to work in Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, and it's actually relevant. Did you see the Barack Obama's Chiron just said former Chicago resident? I was like, yeah. I was like, nothing, nothing better than that. I was like, nothing, nothing better. Than, I I took that I took that from Twitter, I think. But yeah, that, that was that, that was that was what made me chuckle. I also want to give a shout out to Reese's Peanut Butter Cups being an official sponsor. Uh, loved the Remember When segment. That was awesome. But also, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups is just the best candy of all time. Ever. Mark, ever. Mark, every give me, 15, give me 15 seconds on why Reese's is the best candy. Listen, <laughs> they, they, provide, they provide the spirit of sugar for the holiday of every holiday season. Any, sh <laughs> any shape of any holiday you want, you can get it, and you can eat them relentlessly. Well done. Well done. I'm going to go find me some Reese's now. Uh, no, we literally, we, I, text, I text Christian every holiday, like, these will change your life. He's like, yep, got them. <laughs> Christmas, Thanksgiving, uh, Easter, whatever. I still maintain that the Easter egg is the best tasting one for no reason, well, but it just is. Also, want to give a shout out to James Worthy. Dude got to play with Magic and with MJ in his career. You're doing something right in your career if you get to do that. Uh, also, shout out the ESPN commercial with Kenny Mayne and Linda Cohen was that was awesome, amazing. Will, I want to go to you. Because, I mean, we used to, I think just as much as we loved sports, we also loved the sports casters. I want to go to you. Who was your favorite sports caster out of that, like, 90s range of 
sportscasters on ESPN in their heyday? I mean, you know, the first ones that come to mind are Craig Kilborn, uh, Keith Olbermann, and Stu Scott. Like, those are the guys that are, I mean, that's the sort of Mount Rushmore of that era. You know, Stu Scott's a little, probably a little bit later than, than that. But, uh, you know, those, those are the guys that I remember for sure. Kilborn Olbermann particularly always, you know, on. But, I mean, you know, you, you drizzle in a little Chris Berman here and there. Uh, you know, his late stage stuff hasn't been as good, but then, you know, he, he could still bring it back then. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was a good era for sure. Also want to shout you out because you did one of the coolest things. I still remember it to this day. We went to summer league, our senior year of high school. It was in Boston and mm -hmm. we went into the gym and we saw Steve Levy there and we both were like, oh, that's Steve Levy. And you were like, I'm going to go talk to him. And you did, and it was the coolest thing that ever happened when I was 18 years old. Like he went to Ithaca College, I, I believe, and or he was speaking there, something like that. And I was going into Ithaca to be a sports media uh, major, and so I was like, "I'm gonna go soak it. up, I'm gonna go soak up some knowledge. I'll be right back." <laughs> you know, some of the ball players who were in the stands probably wanted to just go talk to the players, but I was like, let me go find one of those uh, broadcasters. Let's see what these guys are. I feel like you're a true fan of the sport when you're not only a fan of the players and the teams, but also like the reporters, the media. Because <laughs> when Charlotte had the All-Star game, what, two years ago? You know, I found out, I, I read a lot of The Ringer, and I found out they're having a, an after party. So I went because I was like, I want to see who's there. I, didn't, I knew Bill Simmons wouldn't be there, but like, let's see who my other favorites are. And Kevin O'Connor was like my favorite podcaster and writer was there. And like, same thing as you. I was like, I got to talk to him. You know, I just worked my butt off just to kind of like talk hoops, you know, that's get awesome. like other stories. Cause like, that's what they do. They just see all the behind the scenes. And I'm like, you would have thought like I was trying to meet one of the NBA players, you know, like being that nervous. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, also, another sportscaster to shout out. Shout out to Ahmad Rashad. I forgot how much I loved that guy. I mean, <laughs> that's a good inside stuff. I was like, wow, that guy's amazing. Also, uh, for me, my grandmother, every Sunday, I would go over to her house and would end up catching some of the basketball game, and Ahmad Rashad would come on. And every Sunday, she tried to convince me that he was Lebanese. He's definitely not Lebanese, but somehow she would convince me. <laughs> Amazing. I'm going to um, give you the Ahmad Rashad Award, Shabu. I feel like you capture his personality really well. Wow. Wow. I've had two great compliments tonight. I need to just get you guys on a call once a week to just feel good about myself. I got a big head anyway, and you just made it a lot bigger. Last shout out of the night is shout out to the dude who is the announcer for the Bulls starting lineup. I had never seen what that guy looked like, and he looked exactly like what I thought he would. Yep. <laughs> Dude, it's Bill, so funny. Bill Wennington. Bill Wennington. Yeah. <laughs> he looked just like the dude. Yeah. Well, all I have to say is that documentary, there, there's a lot that came out, but what it proved to me is that as white guys, we are just not going to age well. Oh, yeah, no. You're not going to age well, and there are going to be no white men in the NBA in the next three years. <laughs> that was the golden age. So there's that, too. Yeah. Dude, I, I'm so glad that you I'm so glad that you mentioned that dude, that announcer guy, because I, I literally wrote down in one of my notes the fact that they ended the first episode with just like yes. the entrance Shout music out to that. and that whole that thing. I was like, 
I was like, that Ooh. right there, maybe was the most nostalgic piece of the entire Let's go. first episode. Yeah, it was a mm. whole thing. And then what time is it? Game time? Who? And then, and then, you know, yeah. six six from North Carolina. But the whole, like all of it. It was just like that entrance. Was was that was that like the first iconic intro? I, oh, I was yeah. gonna say I don't remember. I feel like before lots of teams do it yeah. now, but that was like the main one. Yeah, for all sports. Yep. All of it. Absolutely. You know, I was waiting for Shabu to play the Alan Parsons project and when he introduced all of us to like say our stats, where we're from <laughs> and the announcer voice. I was waiting for it. I didn't hear it. Maybe next week. I just we didn't can... want the Alan Parsons project to come after us. Like I don't want to play that shit and then yeah. be like, yo, you owe us something. Like, what? Get out of here. Right. Yeah. Copyrights are tricky, tricky business. Right. You're, uh, you're the guy we should be talking to about this, Will. Be like, yeah, I can't help you with the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> I can't help you with that. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, this was a great first episode. We got four more of these. Uh, and yeah, just I'm going to say it every week, but thank you for saying yes to this. And thank you for just being great friends for some of y'all for almost 30 years, some of y'all for 10 years. Appreciate you and love you. <laughs>